for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecovis store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Solo archery elk hunting techniques are the basics for success, no matter where, how, or who you hunt with. If you have a solo skill set and strategies in your toolbox, trust me, you're ready to rock. Today, it's part four of our solo series, y'all, and this week we give you 35 plus years of proven strategies and content guaranteed to help you in 2020. The wins, the whys, and hows of what we do year in and year out to help you be successful. Those topics, along with our Elk Bros shout outs. So, my friends, pull up a chair, adjust your volumes just right, and welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkBros.com, with your host, Gilbert Ornelas, and Elk Hunting coach, Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Hello there, everyone. If it's your first time with us, glad to have you. Hope you enjoy our show. And for those blue collar hunters following our show and grinding it out with us every week, welcome back to Elk Camp. I'm Gilbert Ornelas coming to you live from Spring, Texas, the host of the show, and from New Mexico, your elk hunting coach, Joe Gillia. And from Katy, Texas, it's none other than the living legend, Luis Gonzalez. If you don't want to know, look at how he wears his shirts. He wears them backwards. So, <laughs> the living legend, Luis oh, Gonzalez, gosh. the leader of the kitty cat cult killer, leader of the venezuelan mafia Luis yeah. Gonzalez. And he's got a shirt on right this this time yeah, man. I, he's I, got it turned around right this well time, i sent man. him one with it labeled had front and back. <laughs> f and b you know? there we go <laughs> That's he has the he has the you got to say something. Go ahead and stand up and say something so that that comes on you, Luis. Go ahead and stand up. And turn oh, on. yeah, that's right. I, I, here we go. 
How about now? We- <laughs> <laughs> uh, Absolutely. You know, and because, you know, a lot of people are like two holes. When people see that, it is really an opportunity for us to explain our goal when we teach people that. And I got in a huge conversation just yesterday with a good friend of mine about that, about how it's critical on your shop placement with an elk, man, that you get those two holes, that you get that pass through because now we're talking about finding an animal versus having a long tracking job or possibly not even finding that animal. Funny you mentioned that, Joe, because just yesterday um, I was talking to, to, to a guy actually uh, uh, with, a, with a taxidermist because I dropped off a, a javelina hide that I had mm-hmm. and uh, wondered if it was possible to convert it into a, ha- into a shoulder mount. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he was looking at it and he was like, hey, man, you know, um, it, you know, it's funny, those, you know, those are small holes for, for bow and arrow. And I said, well, yeah, the, the type of arrows we shoot, you know, they're, they're fixed and, and that's, that's what we like. We like two holes. Yes. It, and, and then it goes back to all the podcasts and all the discussions that you guys have had with regards to, okay, yeah, what, what did you gain with a bigger broadhead, you know, is potentially flight stability. What did you gain with a, with a, with a mechanical, yeah, potentially you, you, you more uh, area cut, but at the same time, you may lose the, the pass-through capability. So, you know, and I think that all of that sums up to what you just said. Two holes certainly yeah. uh, make a huge difference because it gives you a clear pathways on both sides for, for blood to, to come out and, and make an easier tracking job and potentially, you know, better a quicker death of the animal depending on absolutely a great friend of ours god bless his soul always said it don't matter if it's a an elk a deer a mouse or a friggin elephant man you take out both lungs it's going to die fast yes sir yes sir this particular javelina it was unbelievable uh i kid you not this javelina did not go five meters um it was was double lung for sure yeah i mean i'm I'm a proponent of it. You know, Carl used to say all the time, if you, he didn't care if it was a bull, a field mouse or a bull elephant, you put an arrow, it didn't matter if it had a field point on it. Uh, if you put an arrow through both lungs, it's going to die. Yeah. You know, just a Absolutely. matter of finding it. And with the two hole propaganda, <clears throat> your chances of finding him are going to be a whole lot better because you're going to have a pass through and two holes for him to leak out of. That's um, exactly right. And, and so that's why we say that is, you know, uh, is an animal going to die? Um, you know, when you put it in that golden triangle there and hit in the heart, yeah, that animal's going to die. But if you don't get that pass through and that shoulder ends up, I mean, that elbow ends up shearing that arrow and it starts bleeding internally, it just makes it that much more difficult to find that well, animal. Well, and these critters are such good athletes. They can cover a tremendous amount of distance in a real short period of time. Right. Uh, you know, they can cover, you know, a quarter of a mile in no time. I mean, you know, 30, yeah. 40 seconds. And yeah. it's hard, you know, going in places that they can go to try and, and if, find it. And if the animal has a thick fur, it makes it even harder. Like like the issue we have with the bear, too. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was harder and harder to find blood. You know, one of the things I was looking at is – when you hit one and you got one hole and they shear that arrow off or whatever, um, and you've deflated, let's say you got both lungs. Okay. Right. Uh, and you've deflated one lung, punctured the other one or whatever. Mm-hmm. If, if they fall down or lay down and they, they can seal that first hole up, 
they can re- they can get that lung back inflated partially mm-hmm. and they can go a very very long way but if you poke two holes much harder for them to cover two holes than it is one and help reinflate that lung right? you know if nobody has seen our earlier podcast or when we've talked about it you know four bulls this year on state property uh three bulls in and what uh, four days, days and three days. Yeah. And uh, days, yeah. every single one of those bulls went down in sight within Gilbert. I'd swear, man, if I counted off on the video, I think it's got to be six seconds when that guy stops. He's dead in 10 seconds. Luis, I, it, it has to be 10 seconds or less on your bull. Mm-hmm. I mean, every one of these bulls died in less than 30 seconds. And it was uh, just because of shot placement you know, yeah. where we had it and so effective. And that's our goal. You know, we want to put those animals down as quick and responsible as possible. And we want to make sure that we have a great tracking job if it is in a bad area. I mean, you get in some places with high grass or stuff like that, or you get in some of those areas with, with uh, leaves and everything moving around. It's tough, you know, Oof. so. <laughs> Absolutely. It's much better to go 10 yards and finding piled up. I mean, yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, I knew that stuck that, that, that bull really good uh right where I, I like to aim for him right where I like their that spot to be and when he actually went out of sight down the hill and turned down that's exactly where he went down you know I was very apprehensive I knew we made a good shot and you know normally you can hear him gurgling and everything else but he kind of went silent you know but he was down the hill from us so we couldn't really hear him yeah. but when we walked down there he was piled up and I don't know that he went 12 yards no and it, it was six seconds he was coughing up and yeah. I mean, then it was boom. He went down and and did the did the. Death I think a mi- I think a million fold guys need to go back and watch that podcast over and over again and understand that little that triangle zone we talk about. It is money, and you put an arrow in there uh, with a really good uh, cut on contact broadhead, you're going to be successful. So, and to your point, uh, Gilbert. Uh, I do remember that the very first bowl that unfortunately I could not find uh, when you're talking about the, the animal trying to seal their own wounds. Yeah. That was impressive we, we to watch. It. You remember that Joe? Yes. Because we could see how he would get on its knees, man, and try mm-hmm. to kind of just on the front legs and try to kind of seal up uh, with kind of her, the, the shoulders the and the shoulder yeah. blades and yeah. stuff like that. And even the dirt, yeah. and then it would get up and then you will have less, uh, yeah. blood rate you Absolutely. Know, and then less and less every time and it we was found three aggressive. different spots where that bull had laid down and tried to seal up that wound with the dirt and then got to the point where we couldn't find i mean we were doing you know pinhead stuff you know and then totally lost it all together. two and a half miles up and down the hills 12 yeah. hour tracking job yeah yeah, I remember I brought you guys, you know, burritos to to get y'all some energy and everything. I, I I'm I'm telling you, there is something in their saliva too. Uh, elk, deer, they have something that helps coagulate blood when they get uh, when they get injured. So it helps them heal that wound area at a rapid rate. I've watched deer do it a thousand times. Get hit low in the leg and they lick that wound over and over and over again. And uh, it'll actually stop it from bleeding. Mm. So that's crazy. There's there's a there's definitely something biologically going on with them too when they start licking on it. And there's no doubt. I've I've seen a deer lay over on its side and rub its side in the dirt. And I mean, it's it's crazy. I just want to tell the listeners out there uh, that uh, 
You notice on last week and this week that we don't have an Elk Bros mailbox, and that's not from a lack of questions. You guys keep sending your questions yeah. in. What it, the reason for it has been because the amount of content that we've been putting out. Last week's show was an hour and 30 minutes of content. Uh, this week, the content is a tremendous amount of content, and I didn't want for this part of it. We can even do, if we want, we can even do a cast where we just do a question and answer, but I, I don't want to stand up rushing through some of this content because I know it's so important to a lot of you guys. So uh, it is coming back. Uh, the EBD series is coming back. Uh, you're hearing a lot of EBD within this content, in fact. Sure. So uh, it kind of feeds into what we're doing right now. So I just want to let you guys know. No, no doubt. Well, Joe, you know what time it is. Let's get right to it, man. It's time shout for our Elk Bros shout-outs. If you guys are new to our show, <laughs> these are just shout-outs to just a few cities with the most listeners topping our charts this week. You betcha. And remember, Chav, this one's for you, bro. Healing up, man. Uh, you can find a metal alligator chasing a couple of metal grasshoppers or come across a ghost of Otto Wood. Otto Wood was an one-armed gangster on the 10 most wanted list back in December of 1931, and he met his demise in our top listening cities downtown. The local police chief spotted Otto in front of Hardiman's Furniture Building, crouched behind the front of a car as he opened fire on the gangster. After several minutes of dozens of shots going back and forth, dude, this is like the gangster movies back in the day, right. right? Happening out there. Well, Otto was mortally wounded, got in his car to escape. And just like you see in those old black and whites, that car steered off and guy was dead in a half block. Uh, and the bullet holes are still found at the, to this day in the wall of Hardiman's furniture. And Otto's rifle is in the Rowan Museum. And the gangster Woods ghost wanders around downtown but still they say with only one arm in oh, wow. salisbury missouri salisbury yeah. missouri in the house <laughs> that's wild dude isn't that crazy well you know the missouri boys that we know uh I, I don't know. I could just see this kind of stuff happen. You those. bet you. We have my, our brothers, our brothers to the north, the Peters brothers. I'm telling you, they got some wild stuff that can go on up there for sure. Yes, sir. I'm sure they could have some stories they could tell. <laughs> well, Joe, next up, known in the 1850s as Four Creeks. Today, our next top listening city is known as the Gateway to the Sequoias. It's the closest city to the tallest mountain range in the contiguous U.S., the Sierra Nevada Mountains, only 36 miles from the Sequoia National Forest. If you don't know about the Sequoia trees, get this. The trees are over 3,000 years old. Their bark is about three feet thick, and they grow to about 300 foot tall. The branches alone can be eight feet in diameter. Dude, that is a huge tree. And this is in Visalia, California. Visalia, California in the house. I, you know. No cap. <laughs> sequoias, man. Could you imagine how, three feet click in, uh, thick in bark? And they're saying that these trees never stop growing. They're kind of like your ears. You right. know, they never stop growing, man. Yeah. You know? Uh, I thought that was the nose. Both of them, in yeah. fact. Oh, no, wait. It's <laughs> it's actually the ears and the fingernails, right? They, oh, they never okay. stop yeah. growing even. Yeah. 
We went to, we had an opportunity to go to the Sequoia National Park there, Did you? man. And uh, it's unbelievable, unbelievable. Uh, the place is surreal for sure. Definitely something to go see if you are in the area. And we went during the winter time and the sites, I mean, it was just, uh, it was out of this world. So much that actually, here's another thing is Star Wars, uh, one of the Star Wars movies, right. the Return of the Jedi, I believe, is the, was actually filmed in the Sequoia Parks. That's supposed to be oh, the, cool. the moon of Endor. Yeah. Uh, where where the little cute the little uh, bears? Um, what were they called, man? There. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Those little dudes, the little yeah, critters that uh, were inside there. Oh man, man <laughs> I, I'm a big Star Wars fan, and people will be disappointed at me. At I'm drawing a blank. But, uh, Ewoks. You, you've just Ewoks. lost your card. It's Ewoks. The, Ewoks. the Ewoks. Yeah. Ewoks. Yeah. yeah. I was gonna say you had to get it, bro. You'd lose your Star Wars card. Right. I was close to there, but I, I, I pulled it off. <laughs> yeah. So bordered on the south by Lake Ontario, on the east by the Humber River, and one of the best places to enjoy stunning views of downtown Toronto skyline. But if you were born and bred here, you would know the place to go for, this, for some quality grub is the magic spot at any given time for a burger or fries. Or if it's soft serve ice cream on the crave, the line at Tom's Dairy Queen speaks for itself, usually wrapping around the trailer they serve out of, spreading into the street. Let's see, let me see if I can pronounce this one, Joe, because <laughs> you love to give me the tricky ones here, but uh, Itobico, Ontario. Itobico, Ontario. Our, job, our brothers and sisters Luis. to the north. How's that? Man. Man. Yeah. Canada yeah. always showing up in our top yeah. listeners. Joe. Canada showing up. In fact, um, a buddy up in, in Canada up there uh, sends letters all the time. A lot of positive. Just send stuff to us just saying, you guys, man, loving it. Just keep doing it. And, and that's so appreciated when we get that stuff, man. Very true. You betcha. Well, Joe, next up, about 60 miles north of Detroit Rock City, this official was this officially formed July 1st, 1972, and previously being a township and historically known as Atherton Settlement. The beauty of this city is a second to none, and if you want to experience the outdoors, just go take in the Four Mar Nature Preserve and Arboretum. They're in a 380-acre complex with white-tailed deer, wild turkey, an incredible array of birds and butterflies. Of course, their mascot is the snapping turtle, and none other than I've been there, too, in Burton, Michigan. You've been to Burton? Absolutely, man. My wife's from Ann Arbor. Oh, okay. So, you know, I, I still, so you always do the hand thing. Is is that yes. down there on the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. On the bottom well, or you, the top? Man? Yeah, if, you, if you're looking at, at Detroit, so it'd be about right there. Oh, okay. The hand is supposed to be the shape of the state? Yes, uh-huh, when you turn yeah. it around like that. The West Virginia is very similar. You just kind of have to, like, you show people the finger. <laughs> that's for unleashed joe, joe man we gotta get this guy straightened out hey, hey, oh, didn't say which finger yeah yeah. Uh, yeah oh yeah it's my fault okay. so my son my son-in-law's from west virginia man west by god virginia that's where i went to school west by god virginia yeah. Mm -hmm. uh last but not least began as a frontier town in 1887 and named for 
a city in Ohio, is one of the older towns on the eastern plains of Colorado. The town name is Greek for summit. Appropriate since the town is the highest point in Colorado. Now understand this, east of Denver, where the high plains begin. Washington County, where our town is located, is one of the top wheat producers in Colorado, ranking second among the state's 46 wheat-growing counties. The county is also ranked sixth in corn production and raises more than 74,000 head of cattle in Akron, Colorado. Colorado in the house. Yes, sir. Get a lot of people from Colorado. such a diverse state. You know, you can drive through the eastern side. Yeah, I've uh-huh. gone several times from Oklahoma and drove drove across into Colorado. And you, man, it's like being in Nebraska on the eastern side. You know, it's flat and roll, little rolling hills and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And then, boom, you hit that divide and the big yeah. rocky, the big backbone of the Rocky Mountains comes in. And it is just way different. The west side of that state, middle part of that state, and eastern part of that state. Yeah, and I mean, even when you go from the south to the north, because you go those southern <laughs> mountains, it you know, it's yeah. so much New Mexico. I mean, where I'm at right now in southern Colorado, pretty much same area, you know. Yeah. It's it's really like being at home when I'm over there. Yeah. But you start getting deeper into some of those and heading up north, getting closer to Wyoming. You know, it just explodes in the middle, and then you start getting those beautiful Platte River areas up there close to Wyoming. It's just a very beautiful, diverse state. You bet. You know, I wanted to, I want to say to our grinders out there, we, we appreciate all y'all's questions and all of the rates and reviews. And can't tell you, we, we get tons of emails from each one of them, and uh, we've been humbled by a whole bunch of them. So, guys, please – Please, if you like what we're doing, please rate, review, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Uh, we have a lot of content that if you watch the show on YouTube, you'll get some of the stuff that Joe puts up on the on the screen. You'll be able to see him do some things. Uh, you know, there are a lot of different diagrams that Joe will put up at times. So uh, we appreciate you guys and we thank you all. Uh, you guys are the reason we're doing what we're doing. And if you feel like you're learning a lot from this content, don't be selfish. Share it. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> Put man. Put it out there, man. Share it. Uh, also, you know, we got our swag open. Our Elk Bro store is open. Uh, you guys take a look at it. Uh, love you guys flying our flag. Uh, oh, yeah. Joe, Joe yeah. might even be <clears throat> Joe might even be generous and give a discount code here uh, coming up on this podcast. <laughs> Made in America. <laughs> you do what? Made in America. <laughs> Made in America by Americans. That's All right. For sure. I think we actually have a code out there. It's blue collar. That's and, right. And uh, get some 15% off. And it's uh, all awesome. just one word. And uh, uh, you go to the store, just put in blue collar, all lowercase, all one word. You get 15% off of stuff at the store, man. We okay. uh, understand right now this is tough times for all of us out there. We do. If, if you know, especially when we see people buying and putting one one of our hats or one of our shirts right now in these kinds of times. I mean, that's even more special to me because... And I, I just know right now everybody's having to watch what they're doing. So yeah, it's tough that. everywhere. You yep. betcha. Mm-hmm. Joe, heading into today's topic, yep. what would you say the number one thing you don't want to do when you're elk hunting solo? Yeah. Um, so we, <laughs> I'm going to answer your question, Gilbert here. Don't mm-hmm. let me forget there, but I just want to let everybody know we were going to talk about hunting and calling tactics. When we started to do this and flesh this out, there was no way we could do both of them in one. So we're going to cover those hunting strategies and tactics this time. We're going to do the calling ones next time. And Makes sense. And to answer your question, Gilbert, you know, I, I just want to make one thing clear. And, 
and I want all of those hunters, those hunters that are coming from uh, states that they've hunted deer, whether it's whitetail, whether it's muley, and they've never hunted elk, I, I want to make sure you understand one thing. When I am hunting elk, I am not a deer hunter, okay? Whitetail or muley, I do not hunt like a deer hunter. I, I'm telling you, do not hunt like a deer hunter. I think that is the number one mistake. When I'm hunting elk, buddy, I'm noisy, I'm loud, I'm moving fast at times. And if I'm solo, I can tell you what, there's times in the right situation when I'm going to pretty much walk up to a bull and kill that sucker, man. You know, and that's not something that, you, this is not how you act when you're deer hunting. It, it's, it's different. And, you know, when I'm elk hunting, I actually don't expect to see deer. I don't expect to see them because of the way I'm covering the country, man. Sure. So I, I think that's the number one mistake I see out there. If I had to compare elk hunting to anything of all the things, I'd compare it to turkey hunting. And, you know, just, uh, and a lot of people do those comparisons, you know, as far as calling, um, you know, you don't have to worry about your scent with turkeys. They got a real sharp eye. And the problem with a turkey is that you're just freaking scared of everything, you know, yeah. but if I was going to compare it to anything, you know, like some of the setups and some of the things you do and how you can use decoys, all those different things, I, I think that's what I would compare it to. Now, sure. am I telling people, Gilbert, that deer tactics, some of those tactics won't work on elk? Absolutely not. Because, I mean, their skill sets too, they got their place at, at times. Tree stands, hunting yeah. trails, hunting water, hunting feed, stalking, and and I'm telling you, even uh, we've mentioned this before, rattling. Oh, yeah. You know, these are things you want in your toolbox, guys, because in the right situation, at the right time and place, they have and they will continue to kill elk. But I kind of like, here's how I think about using those tactics versus how we do it. To me, those methods are like bobber and bait fishing in a lake, you know. <laughs> yeah. You bait your barber, you cast that puppy out there, and, man, you're just waiting for a fish to come by. Mm -hmm. And to me, and maybe it's because of my ADD, maybe it's how I am, maybe it's my nature, but I want to take it to them. I want to be more of a move-and-hit river fisherman. Find the spots, find what creates a response, make a presentation, and set that puppy, man. Yeah, that's 100% what we do bass fishing. We ain't sitting in one spot. We're moving constantly chunking and winding moving looking hunting you know it's more like hunting when we're bass fishing right yeah and and what you're doing the difference between the two is one you're waiting for an opportunity yeah the other one you're creating the opportunity that's right and uh, you know so when we start going now into these tactics and strategies of how we hunt solo uh again we're, we're considering that this is a person all on their own, uh, mm -hmm. given that particular skill set, skill set. And I want everybody, I want you guys that are listening to understand something here. You've got to always ask yourself, okay, what am I hunting? Okay, am I hunting any elk? Am I uh, hunting a, a, a small bull? Am I hunting a, a mature bull? Understand this, when I'm hunting, when we hunt as a group, we are targeting bulls. But it could be a mature herd bull, it could be a satellite bull, it could be a trailer, it could be a bull with some bachelors. Uh, we're looking for bulls that are trying to set a pecking order. We're looking for bulls that want to gather cows. We're looking for bulls 
that might be working cows and we're looking for bulls that are feeding in the corridor areas, what I call corridor areas. You, you remember what I meant by corridor areas, guys? You bet. Yeah, those, those areas. In from, yeah, from the feed areas to the bedding areas. Yeah, that's right. Right? And, and the reason I like to learn to hunt the corridor areas, and I also like to hunt bedding areas, but the reason I do is – it's going to extend your hunt, man. You're going to be, again, taking it to the animal instead of waiting for them to get to a park, you know. Yeah, and, and then, traditionally most of that's thicker, too. It's easier to, you know, get them in close. Right. And and some of those corridor areas where they're actually going to start feeding during the day is going to be areas with cover but still going to have grass in it. So okay. it's got a little bit more of a break in the canopy, but they're going to kind of feed down into those open parks where they're going to feed in bed for the night. Right. Yeah. It makes sense. Okay. Um, so for clarity, one, one question. Um, uh -huh. So, and I know we've talked that, again, that there's other podcasts that cover this too, but in summary, it also depends um, what time of the year you're hunting. Uh, and, and to me, based on what I've heard from you guys before too, key is to identify where the cows are. Um, I think regardless of what kind of bull you're hunting, if you're specifically hunting, looking for a bull, I think, you know, once you identify where your cows are, it, it you know, you try to stick with them and, and, and realize, understand what the if herd is doing, what they're them. doing, where they're going. Right. And uh, the, again, depending on the time of the year. Is that so yeah, I think, I think when, when you're hunting's, paramount to understand you know the the pattern that the elk are going to be in uh you know a lot of times we're hunting early in the rut so those right. bulls are all bachelored up they won't be with cows so mm -hmm. you're you're actually targeting them you know in what they're doing yeah. uh, and making them sound like hey well we got some cows over here when we're doing and, our and that's session. the that's the one thing that is different from louisa saying is that yeah we so if we know where the cows are that's where the bulls are going to be heading even those bachelor groups are going to be in transition from where they were in their bachelor grounds to going where those cows are and heading to those areas. And you might end up in a situation, like you said, Gilbert, where we have bachelor bulls together where um, finding the cows necessarily might not have a bull with them. But I guarantee you this, you locate the cows, even on our early type of season, there's going to be one or two bulls that are going to be looking for that group or be around Somewhere. that group. Yeah. Yeah. They won't be far away. They won't be far away. Um, either they're starting to make that move. Uh, and, and when we're talking early season, I'm going to break it down here in a, a little further down, but th there's different times of that. There's, you've got that total end of August. You got the beginning of September, different parts of that. So yeah, for clarity, Luis is if you find those cows, you're going to be in the money in September mm -hmm. period. But, yeah, stick with them for a few days because they're yeah. going to have some bulls check them. But like Gilbert said, there's going to be a time when you're going to find a group of bulls, just like you did Luis last year yep. when you found the, that, that group of bulls. Mm -hmm. Just like we did when up. Joe killed his bull. Yep. You know, we, we were sounding off, you know, making a, making a ruckus with cows and stuff like that. And before you know it, here come five bulls together, you know? Yep. So want everybody to this listening to remember something always remember this in your mind elk move up in the morning down in the evening now again 
there's varied types of terrains from areas down in Arizona to the Mesa areas in New Mexico to the high mountain areas of Colorado. So that can have, that can be a relative term up and down. Uh, they're going to be someplace where it's defensive, where they can smell the best, where they can see things that are, that are coming at them. But generally, in most areas where we hunt elk, we've got some kind of rolling hills. Uh, I've even talked to um, our airman, Derek uh, Baker, over in mm -hmm. Oklahoma, that'll be uh, hunting an area of mountains there and most people don't know their mountain is oklahoma and there are, there are but where those elk it's more of kind of rolling hills and you can see them going in and go up on the side of those hills and they'll just stay right there on the side of the hill so wherever you're at those the elk are always going to wherever they're at in the morning they're going to move from there and they're going to move into trees and they're going to head to bedding area in the morning in the evening they're going to be moving down out of those trees to their night feed and their bedding area for the evening. It's their best defensive mode for them. Always remember their main goal, the bulls are getting to where their number one goal is breeding. The cows who are leading the bulls, it's not the bulls that lead the cows. It's the cows that lead the bulls. Right. Their number one goal in life is to stay healthy. Yeah. They want to feed as much as possible because they're going, they got to be healthy to have their calf and they want to live to see the next day. So they're going to put themselves in the best defensive positions that they can in order to do that. Okay. So with Joe, that, I, I actually got to witness the calves leading everybody <laughs> last a year. A calf? <laughs> a calf, yeah. Well, <laughs> would, you, but, would you call that calf with a with right. lost cow? <laughs> and, so, and everything <laughs> followed it. Yeah. So really that calf was, that calf was coming into our calls, right? Yeah. You know, thinking it was another herd of elk. Yeah. Yeah. And so who knows? he might've lost his mama, you know, uh, who, who knows, uh, but he just heard something sound like maybe sound like his mama and man, he's coming. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. When that I was, was doing super that interesting elk behavior for sure. I'm telling you, Carl Gamage and I called one in so close you could rub it on its nose. It got that close to us. <laughs> and, I mean, it was wild. I've never seen anything like it. They and come I kept, running in. Yeah. I, I kept calling. Carl said, keep doing it. He's going he gonna to walk right over us. And I'm telling you, I could have reached out and touched that elk. He got that close. You know, it was a cat. Yeah, yeah I've uh, had calves come in. Lost his mama. Like Louise said, that have probably lost their mom. Like you said, probably lost their mom. And they'll come running into a cow call. And yeah. – and they'll spook a little bit and they just don't want to leave the area. Yep. You know, they, they no. know. That's right. <laughs> They're trying to find somebody. So number one strategy, number one technique. Um, I want everybody to understand. And, and I, I explained this to another young gentleman that uh, was working in, in my yard yesterday that uh, um, this, this boy has incredible elk hunting knowledge because he's been with his dad who's an elk hunting guide for years and years and years uh he's comfortable around the situation he understands it he's been raised hunting elk basically he's got a a huge step on most of us but the one thing he doesn't do is he doesn't call he does not call elk and that's because he usually has always had somebody else to do that for him so I want you guys to understand this. My number one strategy, my one tool for creating opportunities is calling, okay? Yeah. To kill an elk, you have to find them. And 
uh, because that's half the battle. If you're going to kill one, you just find that booger, man, and you're in the money. And I use different sounds to get some kind of response. I don't care if it's a bugle, chuckle, groan, mew, or if it's a bull raking, or even if they're tipping antlers. I'm giving calls out there hoping to hear. It doesn't have to be long. doesn't have to be loud. It just might be, might be just like that. It might be a, oh. It might be just a chuckle. Uh, it could be a bull mute, you know. And and trust me, I've heard people say that you don't want to use a cow call in the beginning of the of the season and the early season, uh, but you Whatever. do want to use a bow call, man. They yeah. do mute, okay. So that's my goal is, and I use this strategy of calling in some shape or form, 90 to 95% of the time. That is my number one strategy. Uh, Luis, you've been with me when we've hunted bedding areas, right? Sir. But even though I'm working through a bedding area every now and then, yeah, 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 mm-hmm. right? It sounds like some cows going through the area. So, uh, and understand this, a response might not always be a sound. Now, my goal is to get a sound because I've identified an animal. I know where they're at. I can either make a move one thing or the other, but a response also sometimes is them just coming into you and coming in silent. And it's interesting, Joe, because it's, it's to you, it's very simple, but actually in reality, especially for us new hunters to try Mm -hmm. to understand the whole language deal, it may seem very complex. And the, and the reason being it's because what you call uh, the type of call you make, right. it depends on so many factors. Uh, it depends on the time of day. It depends right. on uh, the area where right. you're at. Uh, and, and again, the type of call that you use uh, may, may vary uh, depending on all that. And the frequency also depends a lot. So, right. you know, the last few years where we've tagged along and hunt with you, it's, it's been more of trying to get that second nature uh, you know, way if you of, hear this, you should respond. Yeah, this yeah way. you should respond right. to that, and you should yeah. do this, and 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 it's extremely interesting because there's a logic behind it. But for you, it's second nature. But the, there is a logic behind all that, and I'm sure that's what you're trying to get into today. Well, yeah, and, like, and I, I think for for first time guys like Joe's mm-hmm. trying to talk about maybe you your guys that are just starting out. Man, just a basic cow call uh, is a huge yeah. deal for them because it's really about getting a response and then making a plan on how to close the gap right? Uh, and get in position to make the shot. Yeah. All of the integral things are going to come with experience and with time. You learn how to speak the language. But a basic knowledge of just making a couple. I, guys, I can't tell you how many bulls have been killed with a hoochie mama, right? Yeah, and there is no true. talent needed to use that. Uh, at the end of the day, for guys that are just starting out calling, don't think you've got to be a world champion caller like Joe Gilliard or Corey Jacobson or any of those guys like that that can really run the call, right? At the end of the day, it's about locating elk, figuring out a way to get in on them with, with your wind, and then closing the closing the distance. Absolutely. Don't make it so complicated that – Man, golly, I, you know, I can't, I can't blow a call like Joe. Or I can't, I can't call like Luis. I can't call like 
Corey, I mean, how am I ever going to close the deal? Guys, I'm telling you right now, when you find out where those elk are, uh, just a basic cow call and raking some branches sometimes is all you really need. I don't want to There's that. times, Gilbert, that I, I don't even continue to call when I'm solo. 100%, man. And I'll kill yeah. him, man. And yeah, I, I, I've, I've done that a thousand times. Locate, just make my move into the wind, right. and I locate the herd pretty easy to make my move in there understanding that I need to get between him and the cows. Right. And it's a done deal after that. Right. It doesn't have to be complicated. But I, I just want people to understand though, if they are going to consistently harvest an animal and fill their tag every year, they have to learn to call. Yeah, it, man, I agree. It, I agree hundred percent. And totally agree with you. It does not have to be uh, world championship calling. It doesn't have to be. You know, but I, but I think we've said this before too, Joe. I mean, if if you learn one good bugle, just a good location bugle, and yep. and a good uh, cow mew, and then learn the different intensities on those two, right. uh, I think I think our emotions behind those two, I think I think you're golden uh, and ready to go out there and increase your chances. Uh, well, because most twofold. of those emotions have to do with uh, length. Uh, intensity, right. voice inflection. So like you said, if you learn to do a bugle, man, you can learn to shorten that up, throw a little voice in it. And now you've got, uh, you know, you've got a bull trying to gather cows, man. He's got just a, a gathering bugle that he's doing, right? Uh, and, and, and I've been so fortunate to be able to hunt with you who can, I mean, you know, make a bull made a made a black stump i mean at the end of the day joe is one of the best callers in the world but i've had the opportunity to hunt with guys that didn't have that skill set right that i mean carl gamage used a copper pipe to bugle right. with right. to get a location right rc knox very rarely called right right I mean, not much a little cow call he was real good he had a little hyper call that he liked to use a lot and i'm gonna tell you what for him, a lot of times less was more, and it, just being able to find where they are and then make your move into it. But they all had some level that they could do, right? Like I said, Carl would use a copper pipe, and it made such a faraway bugle that those bulls would they would sound off all the time. So you knew exactly what location they were going to be in because he made them talk. And there were a lot of times where if you hammered a real hard bugle, they'd shut up. Right. Oh, heck yeah. So, and see, that's, that's a good point though, Gilbert, because a lot of it has to do with not necessarily what you say, it's how you say it and how that, if, if that's the appropriate response for what's yeah. happening in the situation. Yeah. Right. And what time of year too, you know, I hunted yep. the, uh, the peak of the rut in the, in the, uh, muzzleloader season. I think you could have, I think you could have took a whoopee cushion and mashed it real hard to make a, <laughs> and it would, the woods would come alive with bugles I, and everything. I right? told you I mean, I've gotten out of the truck and slammed the truck door and had a bull scream at me, man. It was kind of exactly, like, <laughs> exactly. goblin, man. But you know, I think if we're talking to our everyday do it yourself guy, who's going to hunt solo and going to hunt the first part of the rut or even into the, the middle part where we hunt bow hunting, Right. Uh, you definitely got to learn a location bugle and it ain't had to be uh, all that in a bag of chips. And you got to learn a little cow call. Even if it's when you start out, you using a hoochie mama at the end of the day, I'm telling you, you're going to be successful because you're speaking the basic language of the elk herd and then using your hunting skills uh, to get in the middle of it. Well, I and saw, I saw a, a, an, an ad, um, on Instagram, uh, 
uh, Elk 101 po uh, posted a, a, a statistics on that the uh, rate of success of uh, an elk hunter is 10%. Mm -hmm. um, I was struck by, by those statistics because obviously I've been fortunate enough to be exposed to uh, a different percentage than that, uh, just being around you guys, right? Well, and the, and, the other statistic you didn't go with that is, is uh, 10% of the hunters are killing 90% of the elk. So it's oh, wow. generally it's generally the same guys that are doing a lot of that year after year you know you've got small percentages of people that are taking one here or there so the point that Corey jacobson trying to make in that when he's doing that is that there are guys you know it's kind of like i watch these guys that play poker and everybody goes well it's a game of chance right it's not i mean you do the right things when you play texas hold'em the same guys end up at the end there uh most of the time at, at that end table and it's the same thing with elk hunting and to some level it's a, it's a game of chance but you have to do everything possible to increase your chances well it's it's a game <laughs> sure it's hunting bro yeah but but yeah. the the great thing is is these animals have weaknesses that we're able to take Correct. advantage of exploit yeah day yeah. in and day out yeah. you understand how to exploit that weakness yeah and, and you know it it's Number one, they're herd animals, right? Mm -hmm. And number one, uh, number two, their their breeding, uh, their breeding drive to breed is is it over, it, it overrules everything for mm -hmm. a bull, man. Yeah, for a bull for sure. And cows yeah. are slaves to their bellies. They gotta right. eat. They're they gonna eat. be where the food source is. That's it, exactly so right. the predictability of the animal is one that is a given for us. Right? If you're we educated know. in their behavior and what they do, you can you can consistently find this animal and put yourself in a position for an opportunity. That's right. And, and, and that's what I want people to understand. And people are like, well, where do I start? What do I do? And, and that's why they're talking about these strategies. You know, uh, let's say I do get a response. Well, okay. What do I do when I get a response? Right. <laughs> and, and, and that's great. And, it's a valid and, question. Yeah. And it's the problem with the answer to that is because, uh, there's so many variables. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right. So here's the thing. I'll tell you what I do after I get a response. It depends on these things. Number one, the type of response. In other words, what type of sound was it? Was it a bugle? Was it a chuckle? Was it a mew? And when I'm saying mew, again, I am targeting bulls and bulls do mew. Uh, I've had bulls that that when they're just mewing, all they're doing is bulls are just finding out where they're at in their location. There's a bachelor group there, and they're just wanting to be with other bulls or they're wanting to check out another bull there. If, if it's a bugle, then I'm going to, once I get that bugle, there's some things that I got to figure out. A chuckle means something to me too. It means that they're not in an aggressive stage necessarily. So the type of response, what type of sound was it? Was it a bugle, chuckle, or mute? Was it immediate or was it delayed? And if it was immediate, I know that I just got an emotional response from a bull. If yep. it's delayed, that means I've got a bull that is just saying, hey, y'all, I'm here, right? Mm -hmm. I'm over here. I'm a herd animal, right? So I'm right here. Did it have emotion to it? And people ask me all the time, you know, what do you mean by emotion? And you can hear it in an, in an elk's uh, bugle when they just do the pretty with nothing on it you don't hear any you don't hear any grunt or at the end of it or you you hear that 
at the beginning, you know, when they're putting that inflection into it, you know, that's when you start to get that uh, emotion. Does it just scream right away? You know, when you hear that location bugle, that long, you know, reaching the tone, getting to the high pitch out there, that's just a location. That's just an advertisement, okay? You can tell by an animal's, how they put it out there. It's just like me. If, if I told you and I said, uh, Gilbert, come over here, Gilbert. Or if I said, Gilbert, you know, I mean, right away, oh, man, I got somebody's attention, right? Yeah. Okay. So are they just advertising? Are they irritated? Are they challenging? Or are they just saying I'm here? So I, I want to know what type of response I got. So this is going to help me in what I'm, what, how I'm going to respond to them. Okay, what I do when that happens. You can ask anybody that hunts with me, and it seems like my response is this. Point and go, okay? Basically, people, when they see me, my physicalness means uh, I hear that bull and I'm closing the distance. But in my mind, I'm working this stuff. This is stuff that's actually working in my mind immediately, man, that a lot of people don't see the wheel spinning. I'm trying to decipher a lot of stuff. I mean, I can tell you what, as soon as I hear an animal, first thing I'm wondering is which direction the wind's blowing. 100%. Right? Yeah. Okay. As soon as I get a response, the first thing I want to know is which way, what's the wind doing? Because that's going to dictate a lot of stuff I do. Okay. Um, then I, as we're doing this, as we're trying to figure out what I do, I'm going to figure out what the bull's next action was after that response. Did he bugle again? Okay. In other words, he screamed at me once. Did he scream again? Is he screaming multiple times? If he's screaming multiple times and he's moving off, well, that tells me that's a bull going to a destination that most likely has cows, right? If he sounds off and he's sounding off closer to me, well, now I better start looking for a setup because now I have a bull that has sounded off by himself, right? Yeah. Uh, he's responded again. You know, he's basically searching me out, and he's already cut the distance. I had better start looking for a setup, okay? And guys are like, well, when you look for a setup, what do you look for? A lot of times that happens. <laughs> Sometimes you're set up if that bull's right on Improvise. top of you. What's that? <laughs> Sometimes yeah, you have to improvise quick. Oh, heck improv, yeah. In, no doubt. In, in the least, in the least of your setup, you're going to get in front of brush or a tree to break up your uh, background. Silhouette, okay. Yeah. You want to break up your silhouette. That's the least you're going to do. If you can, if you're moving towards an animal and you have an opportunity where between you and that animal, you find an area where you cannot see anything for 30 yards. Okay, that means that bull's not able to see you until he comes within that 30 yards. That's what we call a tight setup. So if I'm moving through and I have multiple shooting lanes in an area where I'm not able to see past 30 yards and, and that bull is coming to me, that is a location where I'll start a setup. Okay, yeah. so think about that. Think about when we say a tight setup, when we say that, what we're talking about is we want a bull in order to see what is calling to him, what he's responding to, he has to come within shooting distance. If I can see 100 yards, so can that bull. So when he starts coming in, if I have made another peep and he's got me locked in, shoot, man, he's going to stand right there and he's like, 
all right, where are you? I should be seeing some brown. I should be seeing the tan butt. I should see a flicker of an ear. I should see something, right? Absolutely. Otherwise, he's going to get a little bit. So I, I, that's what I want to know. Or did the bull go quiet? If the yeah. bull went silent, then now I've got to really kind of think about some other things. And yeah. I know I have a bull in the area, but why did the bull go silent? Um, there could be multiple reasons why a bull goes silent multiple reasons. It, it could be nothing I had anything to do with. It could be another hunter in the area. He caught wind of another hunter. You and bet. Went silent. The, could have had a little gust from the gods. Or, or what he's doing, it could be many different things. It could, sure. it could be going around you. It could be going straight at you. It could be going away from you. <laughs> it could be he really doesn't care. He responded and he might, and he can respond to like, you know, just like a, oh, you know. Yeah. And uh, a lot of times he's not close enough for you to hear that. Yeah. Until you can put eyes on him, you just got to keep doing the things that were successful with his response. And I, I find a lot of bulls early on like to chuckle when they're not really being aggressive. They'll just kind of mm -hmm. chuckle a little bit. So if I have a bull that's doing that, that's gone quiet, um, or because I maybe he responded to my cow call and now I throw out a big old bugle and nothing. Well, that tells you one thing right there, you know, he's, he's not in that aggressive state. Okay. That or he has cows. Yeah. And he's not yeah. wanting to give up his position. So another bull and, can and come in And it's not a hot cow yet. Right, right. Right. I've seen them shut up as soon as they find out when you've bugled hard or you've been aggressive with them. If they go quiet, 90% of the time they got a group of cows with them. Well, and what happens early on is generally, especially early season, it's going to be a small bull raghorn that's going to grab himself a couple, one, two, three cows, and and he's feeling his, his oats, and <laughs> and he doesn't want to lose them, so he just kind of shuts up, right? Yeah. You bet. Yeah. yeah, in early parts of the year, a lot of times they come in silent. They don't say a word. Exactly. You know, they come roaring up in there like, you know, our, those five bulls did on us early. I mean, they never said a word. They were so, coming in there, heads bobbing. Doo -doo -doo -doo, I mean, <laughs> you know, where in the world is everybody? Doo -doo -doo -doo. <laughs> and, uh, man, they throwed the brakes on when they seen – three big old boys walking down the wood. They're like, Oh, what in the world is that? And you just fed in exactly to another thing that controls my response, Gilbert. And yeah. again, guys, I Time want you to remember all this stuff is going on in my head. When I hear that animal, these are the things that I'm deciphering. I'm trying to give you the thought processes that are happening. Okay. And one of those, just like Gilbert said is, is time of year. Is it late August? Is it, and I break these down to these times because I truly believe this is kind of how things are bracketed uh, the most. You got late August, you got September 1st to the 10th. Then you have September 11th through the 21st, which is, is totally hot time right there. Yeah. September 21st to the 30th, and then you have October 1st to the 10th. After the 10th of October, you're still going to get bugling action happening, um, but they're uh the big bulls are generally splitting off by that time from those herds okay they're starting to go into recovery mode but i want you to understand this too a bull's response can totally make me disregard anything that has to do with time of year okay uh it's september 2nd three years ago chav and i uh i i give a cow call out 
and and then and and I give just a few little kind of groans and grunts and a bull scream challenges me I mean from the bottom of his gut I mean just comes right at me so all I had to do at that time I tested to see and so I kind of gave a little bit of uh, some glunking a couple of pants a little cow call he screams another one and I cut him off this is September 2nd and it's like we are in the the equinox yeah yeah (laughs) We are, we are rocking, man. And not only is he now bugling, because I kind of put on the idea that there's a hot cow with me, now other bulls in the area start going berserk because they think there's a hot cow in the yeah. area. We had this herd bull that I shot and another six bulls in the area and going nuts on September 2nd. So do you think in my mind, I'm going, Oh, it's September 1st. So bulls don't want to hear cow calls. They don't want to be challenged. They're not rutting hard yet. Heck no, man. If they tell me what the situation is, I could care less what time of year it is, man. Uh, I'm responding accordingly. But, if I am out there and I'm starting and it's September 1st, a lot of times, am I going to go out there and scream a challenge? No, man, because a lot of them just aren't in that mode. A lot of bulls at that point in time aren't really caring as much about cows. They're kind of doing their bachelor thing, right? Okay. So the other thing you mentioned, Luis, that controls my uh, response is the time of day. Is it morning? Is it midday? Is it evening? Now, why are those important? Because if it's morning, what are those elk going to do? Go up. Yep. They're going to go up. Right. So depending on the type of day it is, whether it's hot, whether it's cold, uh, whether it's cloudy and cool or drizzly, if you have a cloudy, cool day, those bulls are not going to move into the trees as fast. Okay, because remember, you still have cool air, you still don't have this turning of the thermals, it controls a lot of that. But if that day gets hot right away, they're yeah. going into the trees a lot sooner. Sure. So, my response and how I respond to the animal is going to be way different. If, if I take a look at that time of day, I know they're going to be going up. So, what I can do is instead of going at those animals and I listen and I hear multiple bugles going into the trees, if I hear a bull that does multiple bugles, and then he goes, and then he goes, that bull is bugling because he has already entered the trees, most likely, if I'm not hearing it in the same spot, if they sound like they're going away or they're moving they are bugling in the trees because once they hit the trees, they're making that noise so that they can let the cows know where they're at. Okay. It's kind of like, I'm here. Let's stay together. Okay. Everybody single file, blah, blah, blah. All right. So that's the Mm. whole point of that. All right. So if it's a morning, I know they're going to go up. If it's midday, now I know I have some more time if I hear a bull bugle from an area because they're in their bedding area, most likely. If they continue to bugle from the same spot or not, it's going to tell me something. In the evening, in the evening puts a sense of urgency on me. I mean, I really get super aggressive in the evening unless I don't want to booger them and put them to bed and back out. 
But if I think I'm going to have an opportunity for a shot where I'm going to get that created, uh, it's going to get dark and I'm racing the daylight. I have noticed that, Joe. And that's <laughs> when I'm most afraid of actually telling you that I did hear a bugle. <laughs> Me and Manana would hear a very faint bugle way out there that we know Joe didn't really hear. And he would turn and look at us like, did you guys hear that? Manano and I would be wore out <laughs> after 12 to 15 miles and we'll be nodding like, no, sir. Nope, nope. Mm -mm, no idea. I haven't heard anything. It's all in your head. <laughs> because we know for a fact that if we do say, yeah, we think we did and it's kind of that way. Oh, boy. You put your... Uh, the race is on. The, yeah, the race is on. You put the, the four by fours on and get ready to... Well, and that's a that's a good that's a good topic to talk about too, Luis. You know, in the evening time, you're limited on light, so you got to kind of figure out how far that bull is. So a lot of times, Joe asks us how far. You know, mm -hmm. how far was he? Quarter mile? Was he five hundred yards? Four hundred yards? You know, for me, when it's like that, and I'm wore out. Oh man, that's four miles, Joe. <laughs> you know, <we> getting there. <laughs> no, it, it, one thing I love about Joe is if he can hear one, he can get to it. Right. So, uh, and, but it really does depend on the time of day. Sure. And most definitely. And how so we're going to respond. In the do you think that, uh, that, that urgency you get at the end of the day, it's because you feel that's probably one of the most, um, active times of the animal or what's no, the thought no, process it, behind it? it? It all has to do with me running out of shooting light. I, I have too many times ended up with a bull 20 to 30 yards from me. And with the failing light right now, I've had to pull back out and not get yeah. that shot. And the bull's only 20 yards away. Oh. So yeah, it makes for a, it makes for a difficult deal, man. One of the things that I heard that kind of was at a little bit of an aha moment for me as far as speaking the elk language was that they, they gave an example of a guy walking into a farm market where they sell fruits and vegetables. And the guy stands up in the middle of the market on an elevated surface and he starts screaming, you know, wrenches, I don't know, screws, uh, light bulbs, uh, you know, just all kinds of nonsense, right? And people would actually look at the guy. Obviously, they would hear him, look at him, and they'll be like, what's up with this guy? And they wouldn't want to be any, anywhere near that guy because they don't know what that guy's going to come, you know, is going right. to act like. So they actually kind of walk away from it. But if you have you know, that, that same person come in and put themselves in the same position and start screaming, you know, we have an offer, you know, two apples for the price of one, you know, three tomatoes for the price of two. Yeah, yeah. And then he, and then now people is actually paying attention and trying to get closer to kind of understand what deals are going on now. And that's how people actually get close to the, and that's, if you can take that and kind of translate it a little bit into communicating with elk, is kind of similar. You can easily spook elk by not using the right calls at the right times. Uh, and the opposite happens when you use the right calls at the right times. You know, that's, that that's, was a great way to explaining it. it. It really is. I've, I've been uh, privileged to hike in on some herds with Chav when we weren't hunting and we were done, you know, we've already harvested our elk and we moved in on them and, <clears throat> and be able to observe them, listen to their language and then try to get in the middle of it and speak that same language. And, you know, you can tell real quick when you do something and they all go, 
hey man, why'd you say that? You know, because <laughs> cause it ain't the right time to say that, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I, I've I've wanted to get bulls. There are several bulls in a group, bunch of cows, uh, some spikes, and the spikes are usually the ones that don't care what you're saying, right? Yeah. They just want to be part, right? <laughs> so they, right. they come over and they, you know, they're aggressively coming over to see what's up. But a, a, a herd bull or even a big bull or satellite bull won't even lift his head from eating. Right. Mm -hmm. You're like, man, what in the world? And then all of a sudden you hit a note where it it may be just something real subtle as a a nasally man. Then the bull raises it. Oh, oh, okay. So yeah, man, it really takes you understanding the mood of that herd. uh, The The mood mood of that bull right there. You know, Joe, and- you had a story uh, the other day where where you actually blew a whole herd up by just making a faint cow call in right. a moment that <laughs> they weren't expecting it, I guess. Yeah. Well, it was because I didn't match my environment. None of them right. were talking. The bull wasn't talking. I sneak right in the middle of them, and I throw out a cow <laughs> call. And, and, yeah, it was like, <laughs> like somebody <laughs> farted in a party. Like, what? <laughs> what was that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Damn I, I mean, here – in all actuality, I was in perfect situation. I was only, gosh, I was only 20 yards, 30 yards from the cows and the bull was bedded over on the other side. If I had just waited there, I would have yes. the shot. But like yes. I said in that podcast, not Joe Gillia, Joe Gillia has got to call everything in. So <laughs> I didn't match the situation. They never heard a cow elk coming into the area. You know, they right. never heard the conversation coming from a farther out and then moving in and all of a sudden something that they had no idea was there makes a sound it just freaked them out man they turned inside out and they got out of there so you know that's uh (laughs) that that's something that you have to think about like you guys were saying it's not so much um being able to cause being able to say the right thing at the right time and And what I found is a lot of people, because we learned that we challenge. So as soon as you get an animal challenge, first thing we do is we start screaming at them like we're going to tick them off and get them to come in when we really haven't, we haven't escalated the thing. It's just like anything, you know, you and I, we start to, we start to meet on the street and, and all of a sudden I jump in your face, like real aggressive. Well, you're either going to fight and flight, right? One, one thing is going to happen there. But if, if I said something to you that got you just a little bit irritated and, and then I kind of poked you just a little bit more and you started to get a little bit angry. And then I kind of just added a little bit to that and raised my voice a little bit and you raised yours. Next thing we know, there ain't no fight or flight. It's we're getting into it because yeah, yeah. I've escalated the situation. And that's the same thing you got to do with the bull. You got to, you got to lather that bull up a little bit. You got to warm him up and you got to find out his mood. And then you got to kind of get that critter ready to go. So that we're going to cover more of that when we talk about the talking uh, and the elk calling part of it. Um, but as far as what we do when we respond, there's, there's other situations that you guys have seen too, that the layout of the situation can actually control how we respond to the animal. Like you said, Gilbert, when you talked about that one bull who's just out there and could care less, is it a lone bull in a park, right? Is he just a lone bull out there? Is it a lone bull in the trees or, uh, is is he responding from the trees all by himself? Is he raking a tree? Because I tell you what, guys see a bull raking a tree and 
and again, Joe Gillia would make the same mistake because I have done it. Me and Chad were together, <laughs> and I've got a bull 80 yards away in front of me just tearing a juniper tree up, right? Just tearing this thing up. And so I'm like, well, doggone, let me, I'll, I'll call this bull right down to me. So I give a little squealy bull, like a young bull out there, and start throwing some cow calls behind me. He put his head up. he go back to ripping up that tree, right? So I do it again. He'd put his head up. He'd go back to ripping up that tree. Finally, I just got so pissed. I was like, I'm just going to walk up and shoot that son of a buck, man. Yeah. And that's all I had to do. I mean, uh, I've got a juniper tree between me and him. He's occupied. Guys, if you have a bull that's occupied and he's raking up, you don't have to worry, man. Walk right at that booger. Exactly. Don't say a word. Walk right at him and kill that bull. If you've got two bulls that are fighting, oh. they are so into that fight and everything's moving around them, you can cut that down and you go straight at them. You don't talk. You don't call. So how I'm responding to that situation is going to be different. I can, especially as a solo lone hunter. I'm yeah. going to, man, I have the opportunity to stalk in, to walk in fast. I mean, uh, uh, same situation. Chab and I had a whole bunch of bulls out around the fringes of this park, and we're on the outside fringe. It's kind of open areas, again, with big junipers, and they're going nuts. So, man, instead of saying a word because they're all doing that, I walked straight at it. I looked around the juniper, not 10 yards on the other side of the juniper is a bull standing on the other side of the 10 yards. So all I had to do was draw my bow back, come around the side. Again, a bull's first reaction when they see something, especially with all this stuff going on, all these bulls screaming, is going to stop and look. And that's all he did, and he was dead. That was a dead bull. Uh, it ended up being, I think, a 15-yard shot from where I was in the junior wow. where that bull was. I just walked up on him and shot him. That's all I did. I didn't freeze. I didn't worry about him hearing me. I didn't worry because there's so many bulls around making the noise. I just walked up on the other side of that tree, drew back and shot that booger. So your situation, you know, is it bulls with cows in a park? Because if it is, the bull is going to follow cows. The cows are going to go into the tree first. You let those cows go into the tree and get yourself in a situation where you can get between those cows and that bull. You're either going to get a shot from that bull following or now if you just gave a little roundup bugle. I mean, not challenging that bull, but what a roundup bugle is, is like, hey, ladies, you're with me now. I got news for you. That dude in the park is going to come unglued and come up there, <laughs> right? So uh, it's just that situation. So if you get in between him and his cows, you see that you can do it silently. You can go on up and you just wait for that sucker just to follow suit, right? So th that's something. Um, if, uh, if they're going into the trees and moving through the trees, I do not want to follow them. How I respond to this, and I'm not going to call because I'm not going to stop him because yeah. I'm behind him. His cows are moving forward. He's going to want to be with the cows. So I need to get to the downwind side, and I'm most likely there already if I've come in on him that way. And I'm going to start gaining an elevation parallel in these animals because as I parallel now, as I get with that herd, 
now I can pull that bull once I get to his same level up in those trees to come over to the side. Mm -hmm. I can get him to come off. If it doesn't happen and he keeps going with them, I just stay paralleling, let them get to their destination. Now, y'all, I'm in high cotton because 80% of daylight time for these critters is spent in their bedding area. So he ain't going nowhere. So there, there's things that I can do now with the setup on that. Is it uh, uh, multiple bulls? If it's multiples, are they together? Like as a bachelor group, that tells me how I need to respond. Are they apart? If they're apart, then testosterone's starting to happen. And they're not actually spending. Now there's something I can do with introducing a little bit of a cow. Are they feeding? Are they sparring? Are they raghorns? Or are they a mature bull? These types of things are going to tell me what to do uh, and, and how to respond to that. Okay. Yo, real quick, uh, with regards to that stats, uh, to the stat that you just mentioned. So, so just to get this clear, you're saying on average, a bull would spend eight hours of the day in their bedding area? So let me ask you a question. I, I'm going to answer your question with a question, right? Uh -huh. okay. So I get on the bulls and it's shooting light at 6.30, right? 6.30 a.m., okay? All right. How much time do you have before they're in the trees? Not long. No, not, not much. Maybe 30 minutes, uh, right? Half an hour. Yeah. yeah. Depending on yeah. what's happening with the day, right? Okay. Depending on whether it's hot or cold, muggy, right. drizzly. You know. Now, they get into the trees. They're still going to do some feeding in the trees. They're yeah. going to do some slow movement depending on what they have and where they're moving. But between that time they get in the trees and when they get in the bedding, bedding area, an hour, maybe. Yeah, so now we've quick. taken that 6.30 to 7 o'clock. Now we're at 8 o'clock, right? Okay. Yes. And, and at that time of year, it's getting dark again right about 8 o'clock, if you think about it. Yep. Right? So those bulls are going to, from their bedding area, are going to start moving uh, and, and they can do things from their bedding. They can go to water. They'll move off when the cows are bedded. Uh, they might even push their cows to water and then kind of take them back. Different things can happen like that. But generally, what's going to happen is, oh, three or four o'clock, they're going to stand up. They're going to start feeding that corridor area, those transition areas. And they're not going to make it down in that park again until a half hour before daylight, about 730, right? So think about how much time now they've been up in that bedding area. Yep. They've been up there, oh gosh, since eight o'clock till three, four o'clock, right? Yeah. And the rest of that time, they're just moving down before they get to the park. So, if yeah, you are, I think it's eighty percent of their daylight hours, right? Right, daylight areas. Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's what, what I'm that's, that's that, that was the question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of their daylight areas, uh, daylight hours, man. Yep. So that's what brings me to my second strategy, my second technique, if that I include with calling in there is that since I know that elk are going to be in their bedding areas and in those transition and up those, I'm going to work through those during that time of day, I'm going to work through those upper third ridges and that timber and those bedding areas. And I'm going to do a little bit of calling, not a whole lot. I'm just going to throw out an occasional cow call to let them know that I'm there and I'm moving through the area. Uh, when I get in those areas, I want to be in, why the upper third? It's all about the wind, right? So if you're working the upper third and you're, you're actually coming at a 
uh, I would say a horizontal angle, right, or uh, perpendicular there. You, you of those thermals coming up. Right? Of those thermals coming up. That's right. Yeah, You're absolutely. beating the thermals coming yeah. up. Yeah, and if I have a prevailing wind, I'm going to have that with it in my nose, right? So I've got 100%. thermals. So what I like to do is that upper third is the whole reason that those elk are there too. So yeah. I, I want to work those areas. And what I want to do is I want to follow any fresh track that I have up in there. Yeah. Or I want to get on those elk trails. This is my favorite thing to do, man, is in those thick timber, get on those elk trails that are moving laterally across those hills, okay, yeah. moving horizontally. They're not going up and down. They're the ones that kind of, they might drop a little on level. They might go up a little bit, but they're working across those upper third areas because that's the, the those are their roads. Those are their paths. Down the ridge, y'all. Yeah. yeah, most of them will be, ben- <laughs> most of them will be benches. Yeah, fellas, sure. let me tell you something. When you go down, you got to come back up. I'm going to tell you straight up. <laughs> But uh, when you if you use on those elk trails, you find a better way of going up and down those hills for sure. No, no doubt. But yeah. I, I'm with you, Joe. I like the benches, the benches mm-hmm. that cut across. You usually can see down and you can see up too. And just easing through those benches, calling, man, you actually call things to you or call things down to you. I mean, and seen it happen you, a lot. When you get in those areas that that timber is so thick that there's no grass on the ground, that it's just dirt. And there's yeah. downfall and stuff in there. And and you're catching a whiff. So with this technique, guys, anytime I'm hunting like this, my nose, because if I'm not getting a response, my nose is what my number one tool is because I'm I'm trying to smell these critters out. I'm doing the same thing to them that they do to me. And elk smell very strong. So I want to hunt the, that upper third area. I, sometimes I'll even, if the wind is like coming out of side, coming down the side of that ridge, across the side of that ridge, then I'll actually kind of zigzag, zigzag a little down and back up like that, hoping to catch a scent of those animals where they might be bedded. But that's something that that's a technique that I really use, especially when they're not sounding off a whole lot. I really want to use my eyes and my nose and find that sign and, and catch that smell. Okay. So and the, and the, the nose uh, point, the smell um, of the animal, it's actually, you know, super effective. And obviously I learned that from you guys. Um, at first I, I didn't know what elk smelled like, right? But uh-huh. then once you smelled the first time, you know, you recognize this, you recognize it every time after that. Right. Right. Um, it's got that musky smell and, uh, it's like it, a sweet smell to me. I actually too. like yeah. it. Yeah. It's, yeah. I actually like the way they smell, but yeah, man, if, if you smell them, they, they were, they're either super close or they were there not long ago and right. funny uh i i apply that a lot in public land with uh when spot and stalking hogs uh-huh. and and they do they don't smell as good as elk um but you can recognize uh, their smell too and man it's you know I, I wouldn't say nine times out of ten but you know eight seven times out of ten uh, when you smell them if you're quiet enough and you walk in the right direction you're gonna you're gonna ju- you jump them see them or, I mean, it just, they just happened to me two weekends ago. I mean, I, I smelled them and I, I could tell that they were close. I couldn't see them, couldn't see them. Definitely, I ended up spooking them. It's a so, huge uh, tool. It's a it huge is. tool. And if you're not paying attention to all your senses, and I'll tell you another sense to pay attention to, guys, and that's your sixth sense. It, <laughs> yeah. I, I, Which is the least common of all senses. Yeah. yeah. 
And if, <laughs> if, if you feel like you should go in a certain direction, follow that. Uh, I, for some reason, man, I, I've even been where a situation where I felt something was looking at me, turned my head, and I've seen an animal bull right there standing there looking at me just because something told me that. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, turn around, stupid. Yeah, yeah. Me and Chav and, and yep. Brendan this year, I've been calling, had a great sequence and everything. We're all looking, you know, into the wind, thinking, man, you know, the bull's going to come from, from this direction. Something on the back of my neck, you know, and, and Brendan's told him to turn around. He turns around, there's a bull 45 yards from us staring us down. Yep. It's like, oh, gosh, you know, a valuable lesson. Always have a guy if you in a group always looking around. If you by yourself – Keep your head on a swivel. Keep looking. And, and I'm going to tell you, too, is uh, I believe in that sixth sense works both ways. That's why I don't like to look an animal in the eyes. It's just uh, I feel yeah. like they can feel me looking at them. So uh, whether mm -hmm. that's a fact, fiction, or whatever, it's just what I believe. It's in my heart, and, and uh, right. I kind of go with that. Sometimes so. I feel they can, hear, they can hear my heart pounding, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, actually, I think that's why it's important for a hunter to, to work at relaxing and yeah. enjoy the moment because I do feel those animals can can feel that tension because yeah. we've said it before it seems like every time you kill an animal and then you get out there all of a sudden you become an elk magnet it's like they, they just show up everywhere because you don't mm -hmm. have that same stress and that same you know tightness going on and uh mm -hmm. so uh, other technique guys uh that uh that use solo is using spot and stalk when you're, you're hunting burns burn fringes or transition areas working those I do not like to wait and park for animals. Again, I'm not one to, to bobber fish, right? I like to make things happen. And I know that elk are going to get out of their bed, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, those shadows start getting up. They're going to stand up. They're going to pee. They're going to start feeding around a little bit. And then they're going to start using that transition areas to feed on the way to the open parks. That's the areas that I want to be, whether it's uh, semi-covered um, burn areas, uh, they're not going to be in the wide open yet, but they're going to be on those fringes of that because they want to feed in those. Or again, those transition areas that might have more open canopy. So I like to be in there and I'll try to spot them. Uh, if they're not sounding off or if I'm close up to them, then I'll do a, a spot stock type thing and, and work on there. Because now I'm, again, the benefit of being solo is I don't have to worry about anybody else's scent, anybody else's sound. I can get in. Okay. Um, probably one of my strongest techniques that that i do and this would probably be up there close to the top and i held it down here uh because it really is something that uh people have been with me have seen but i like to create my own party i'm going to go more in depth on this when i when i do the solo calling episode next week but what i do one of my techniques is to portray a certain scenario Okay. I've heard other guys call them sequences, uh, which is a great way to do that. It's just when they say sequence, it's just putting together certain types of calls. So what I want to do is I want to try to be one of these types of scenarios. I, I want to be a myself, a destination bull with cows. Uh, I've done this. If other cows aren't sounding or other bulls aren't sounding off, I'll start working up a ridge, just like a bull in the morning, going to a destination to, to bed down. I'll 
advertise that I'm going up, just letting my ladies know where I'm at. I'll throw cow calls out to the side so that other bulls hear that. And it's just like they start zeroing in on my location where I'm going and they come to join in. Okay. So I will create things to happen that way. Uh, I'll try to sound like a moving herd. Uh, We've been three of us together hunting, and we're just moving slowly through a feeding area in the morning, right as it's getting daylight, just sounding like cows, you know, working here, working there, uh, not doing a lot of bull calls at that point in time, just sound like a group of cows, maybe making some low uh, guttural noise of a bull, but that's about it. Most of it is cow calls when I'm doing that, uh, because elk are herd animals. I'll sound like an advertising bull just moving and talking. Okay. Yeah. Um, the favorite one for us to do is our, our little rut fest mm-hmm. that we do. Some people call it a breeding sequence. And the whole purpose of that is to sound and to amp up. Uh, we'll sound like one bull with a hot cow and other bulls that are interested on the sides. And that bull, you know, kind of talking to his cows and then the other bulls starting to amp up a little bit amping him up so we actually sound like uh, a bull with a hot cow and other bulls coming in to challenge that not and we've pulled bulls doing this from the furthest i think i pulled is probably a mile i've pulled a bull doing that yeah you know interesting you say that joe because uh, when I when you mentioned that, it reminds me when you know we've been in situations where I've actually had the opportunity to call in with right. you guys, right? And um, uh, it's so fun to to hear the responses and to see their movements and and to you know to see how they actually come in. Uh, but you know, it, call me crazy, but I know we hunt early season, and normally they're not very vocal initially when we start our hunt. Right. But I feel like the more we do that the more we get them in the mood of actually talking totally. and the more they talk. But again, the days progress and we get closer to where they talk more, but I, I, you know, call me crazy. I feel like we somehow start triggering that vocalization on them kind of earlier in the game. By I think doing we this. absolutely do, man. I, that's, that's the whole reason I do that destination bull, like a bull moving or, or an advertising bull is okay. So maybe these guys aren't all pumped up yet. Maybe I can trigger a little bit of that testosterone right. a little bit. So uh, yeah, because I mean, I have seen what happens when a cow comes in early and remember guys, the rut isn't started by a date what a rut can happen on one ridge or in, in one area and just over the next ridge nothing nothing happening because it all has to do with the cow coming in heat so yeah. as soon as i start representing that other bulls start to pique their interest a little mm. bit makes if, sense if anything they're going to go just to see what bulls are around that are making this noise so that they can check their pecking order okay mm-hmm. so uh, so I, I, we, the rut fest is a huge one we've done. And, and basically, uh, what's so cool about that. And the reason you have bulls come straight into you is because you're not talking to the bull. You're ignoring the bull. You're acting like you're doing your own thing over right. there. The, the lost cow or the searching cow, uh, is a big one that, but that can bring in cows. It can bring in young bulls. It can bring in big bulls. It's kind of like, uh, 
fishing in mm-hmm. the ocean sometimes. You don't know we what don't kind care, of fish. We don't care, y'all. Bring <laughs> it in. <laughs> no, I, I think it was one of the most effective, you know, for the time of year we hunted last year, I think it was one of the most effective techniques I've seen in a long time. Uh, I think the situ- situation, the scenario, the type of time of year it was, man, it was powerful. Uh, you did that when you got a bull fired up and you did that, huh, he's coming, you know, and uh, it didn't matter how far either or what obstacles he had to, to come to to find out what that was. You know, I kind of think of it like you're bass fishing sometimes, Gilbert. You know, every year or different times, it's kind of like you just got to find that right bait. You got to find that right sound. And I mean, it, it can be early on that you can be making cow calls and they could care less, but they're going to respond to a, a bull sound. And it yeah. could be later on that they're not responding to the bull sound, but they're going to respond to a cow sound. So sometimes you just got to keep going to the tackle box and changing that bait a little bit and Every find day. out what's going to get them lit up. Because yeah, I think they're changed from day to day. Yeah. You know? yeah. I think that trigger is based on so many conditions. And, and I think even though we hunt the exact same years, uh, days of the year, um, the conditions may be different, you know, elevation, temperature, um, barometric pressure. Uh, it just, there's so many things out there that affect their behavior. I think that oh, that's the reason why you got to keep trying different things to see, you know, what's the right, right, uh, juice well, there. there. There's yeah, some and, days you and, could do no wrong. Like right. And in the fishing industry, we talk about matching the hatch, right? So, uh, when we talk about matching the hatch, it's about, you know, what are the fish feeding on? Uh, so when you match the hatch, same thing about our vocalization when we're, when we're talking to elk, it's what they're actually in the middle of in their time of year, you know, on the fishing side of it, it's actually matching what bait they're actually feeding on, whether it's the size of the shad that they're feeding on, or if they're crawfish based feeding on all of those things come into play, uh, in, in how you speak the language to be successful. And I, so I want everybody to un- understand there's another scenario where you're just doing the bachelor party and the bachelor party isn't a bunch of yelling, a bunch of screaming. It's just some of those uh, bull sounds that you'll make where you kind of do the, the, the uh, raking. And remember guys, raking is huge in all of this stuff when you do it, especially the rut fest, but a bachelor party, I can do some raking. I can do some cow mew. I'm sorry, bull mews, uh, I can throw out a couple of chuckles here and there, nothing really aggressive. Just letting other bulls know that there's bulls in the area. There might be a group of bachelors over there that they want to join in. Um, Another technique or tactic that we use um, solo archery hunting is decoys. And uh, in the right situation, and I'll just tell you this, I used the ultimate predator decoy last year, and I thought it was phenomenal. It, it, um, (laughs) Uh, if you would have seen those, uh, what was it, four bulls, Gilbert? Was it four? Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had Coming five, in, but the fifth one bugged out early. Yeah. come. I mean, walking straight into me with that decoy standing up in front of me and me with my bow in my hand shooting through that that hole, it was just uh, incredible. And, and we used it in multiple situations to get different bulls' uh, attention, and, and it worked great for us. Yeah, I mean, we we used it on the bull I killed it to make yep. him kind of feel better. He was looking over. I think Brendan had it at the time. Yeah, he did. Uh, he did a little ear flick. And... little ear flicker, and, I mean, mm-hmm. that kind of sealed the deal. He he actually turned the right direction we wanted him to turn. And, Absolutely. And, uh, we got her done. And I'll tell you um, just a couple other situations you can use to your advantage sometimes is what is converging bulls. If you have bulls that are screaming at each other, 
um, and they're challenging, you can tell that one bull's moving on the other. You don't have to say a word. Pay attention to your wind. Get to a point where you can actually cut off one of those bulls moving into the other one. Uh, it's a great way to do that. If they do get in and, the, and there starts to be a little battle going on, most of the time there's going to be cows and you got to watch out for eyes, but it's a great way as well uh, because when they're fighting, it's like everybody's watching the fight. So you can kind of get on there. And, you know, there's something that a lot of people don't talk about, Gilbert, and we've, we've seen this happen so many times. That you always hear people say that bulls run off with their cows when they're worried about somebody stealing, uh, a bull stealing them, like a single bull threatening them. However, if you hear a bull that's moving up to an area with his cows and you sound not challenging to him, but another bull with a bunch of cows moving up to that same area, I've seen it so many times over these years where... Uh, that's a special scenario. Oh, it's man. a perfect storm. Yeah, and what happens is, is they all... See, understand this, that... When bulls know that other bulls have a herd with them, then it's a plus because one bull is not the only bull that's going to breed the cows in his group. It's going to be multiple bulls. He's not able to do that. Every cow that comes in heat has probably four to six bulls that will end up breeding that cow before it goes out. Yeah. You know, that one bull keeps it uh, in there. He will breed that cow, but it can only do so much, man. So it takes other mature bulls in that area. So when you get multiple groups of herd bulls with cows, they will converge. And that's a great way when you start doing that to pull in other bulls, actually sounding like not challenging, but sounding like a bull screaming that's taking care of his herd moving into another one. It is a great technique and it works great. And like Gilbert said, it can be the perfect storm. Um, and, it and can be. I, I, I've I've witnessed it firsthand, <laughs> and, and it and it was something. You know, I'm a, a, a I was a journeyman caller at the time, and a chap, you know, uh, Chav was with me. We actually called a bull up a hill, up a big hill. <laughs> I say a hill, up a mountain. Right. Uh, when we opened up first, we were going up this real steep ridge. That I'm like, man, why are we keep going? And, and, we're like, we don't know whether to keep going to the top or whether to suspend this and go back down. And uh, I cow called one time and a bull opened up up there and it was a long way off, but it kept us going enough to where we knew what we were doing. We had the wind. And when we got up there, I, I did one little challenge bugle and man, the it erupted and he got closer. And Chad was like, man, he's coming. And I'm like, I can't, he goes, just keep doing what you're doing. So about every 45 seconds every minute, man, I'd let out one of them cow calls and he'd roar again, you know, and then I'd step on him and roar back. Well, just, just when we could see him walking through the trees, I look below me and here comes about 40 cows up from the below us. And here comes another bull in there. Roar! He's roaring too. I'm <laughs> like, Oh my gosh. And but, but it got, it got Western quick. That bull, if that bull took four more steps, the original bull, he'd have stepped on Chad. Yeah. Right. I mean, yep. it was an amazing situation for me to stand there and watch it all unfold. Um, knowing what I know now, I wished I had three guys that had bows because we had killed every one of those bulls in that group. I mean, they were so close, yeah. you know, but it was a, it was a situation that we actually worked our way into spotting and using every one of these techniques, spotting and stalking, 
just making little cow calls, understanding we actually called the two herds together. Right. right? And it made for an unbelievable, wish I'd have had it all on video because it was fantastic. To yeah, watch I think, I think converging herds, what I call a rendezvous situation, man, yeah. is, uh, and when I'm doing that, when I'm trying to sound like it, <clears throat> understand something, again, what I do with that is I sound like other bulls that are challenging me as the herd bull. So I will sound like a sm another smaller bull and then I will cut it right off. And doing all of this, just changing directions, intensity and, and levels, or if I have another hunter with me, uh, I can do that as well uh, where we can do that. But in a solo situation, all I got to do is I kind of sound real weak going off and then I'll cut them off real big with the herd bull or do a roundup bugle and then do some of these cow calls. So it sounds like I'm not doing anything to, to make that other bull that I'm hearing bugling off to my side that's converging with me to sound like I'm trying to challenge him. All I'm doing is defending. I've got my own cows. I'm chasing off my own yeah. little satellites over here. Yeah. And Buddy, I tell you what, man, like you said, you end up sometimes with their, with that other bull's cows coming to you and him having to follow. Because Absolutely. It was the those, first bull I've ever called in in my life. It was a few years back, and I'm going to tell you, it was such a powerful experience that I went, I got to keep doing this. This is fantastic, you know. Yeah. So uh, I know Luis feels the same way, and uh, it's once you guys get a little taste of it, have a little bit of success and, and earn some of your opportunities, man, you guys are going to be hooked on this for life. There's a, there's a lot of honor in, in being able to call in an animal that size and, and that smart uh, into, into a friend, you know, to give them an opportunity. You know, it's, it's an incredible feeling, like you said, uh, Gilbert. Oh, yeah. Live yeah. for it. I live yeah. for every one of these Septembers. Uh, next week, guys, um, the the plan is – oh, and, and let me say, look, I, I know I just went through a lot of stuff, and a lot of you guys out there, you might be developing questions as that's going around. Send the question in. If you want to hear a little bit more about one of our scenarios, if you want to hear a little bit more about the other situations, um, if you want to hear anything about any of this, the questions that come in your mind – just send us an email. You can send it directly to me. I'm joe at elkbros.com. You can send it to gilbert at uh, gilbert at elkbros.com. Luis uh, and Chab, all of us are our first name at elkbros.com. And uh, just send those questions in to us. We'll be glad to answer them. Next week, y'all, we talk about the calling. So now we're going to take some of these situations that we're talking about and just go a little bit more in depth with those solo calling strategies and tactics. You're going to need an expert for that, Joe. So <coughs> I'm going to volunteer myself to be back. <laughs> oh, I forgot you're, you're off, but you're not, you're not on board next week, Luis. So oh just, man. You know. well, and, I, and I mean, we've hinted to weak. a lot of that stuff and we've actually talked about a lot of that stuff now already kind of a little bit. So yeah. we'll see how it comes out and how long it takes us next week. If it's going to be short, we'll throw in a uh, Elk Bros um, mailbox or, or or whatever. But I'm going to tell you right now, week. you guys do not want to miss next week. Joe is going to put on a show. Uh, we're going to make sure that he stays healed up and uh, he he don't have any problems with his nasal compartments or anything like that. <laughs> Joe, get on your uh, get on 
necessary uh, techniques to take care of your sinuses because we're going to need you to blow it out next week, Joe. <laughs> All right. Guys, if you like what we're doing, please subscribe, rate, and review us. Go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and review. You can check out more elk hunting content at elkbros.com. And always, if you've got a question for me, me or Joe or one of the boys, you guys, y'all send your questions in to info at elkbros.com. That's info at elkbros.com. Uh, for myself here in Spring, Texas, Luis Gonzalez in Katy, Texas, and your elk hunting coach in New Mexico, Joe Gillia, we appreciate all of our listeners. God bless you guys. Stay safe. Uh, take care of one another and uh, practice your social distancing. And like I say always, husbands, at this time where we're at in our uh, Corona 19 stuff, please fist bump your wives, wives fist bump your husbands, fist bump your children, <laughs> keep your broad head sharp and your powder dry. And we'll see you next week right here on Blue Collar Elk Hunting. Thank you, y'all. Peace, peace. Peace, guys.